0: The Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14 tonight. We're continuing to speak on the Holy Spirit. We found that there were two different experiences regarding the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early church, the apostles and such. When Jesus was raised from the dead in John chapter 20, he appeared to them where they were gathered together. They were huddled up behind closed doors for fear of the Jews, the Bible says, and Jesus appeared to them, showed them his hands and his side, and uh, breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, from his actions and his words, we would have to conclude that they would have had to receive something or else Jesus tricked them. Well, of course, he didn't do that. We see that there was something that happened in them and that a change was made in their lives. The Bible says they were filled with joy and they were no longer behind closed doors. They were openly in the temple worshiping and praising God. Then these same disciples, these same believers, he told to wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. Acts chapter 2 tells us about when that took place. When they were all gathered together with one accord The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So in connection with these two experiences, we found that there are two lists of nine things regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit in salvation provides, according to to Galatians chapter 5, provides what's called, what is known as, as the nine fruit of the Spirit, things that change us change our character change our behavior and then also when they were filled with the holy spirit in that chapter 2 paul explains the things that the holy ghost does and how he manifests himself in first corinthians chapter 12 there are nine manifestations of the spirit just like there are nine fruit of the spirit or as they're commonly called so in john chapter 14 John gives us an eyewitness account. He's the only one of the gospel writers that does this. He gives us an eyewitness account of what happened at the Last Supper. And he tells us things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit and what he would do. And without John's account, we would be left very much in the dark about what Jesus spoke to them and told them about what to expect of the Holy Spirit. So in John chapter 14, verse 26... Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The word Comforter is the word Paraclete, and it's translated in most translations as the word Helper. Thank God he's our Helper. But that word Paraclete means a lot more than that. It means Strengthener and Standby an Intercessor and Advocate. It has seven different meanings, seven different words that make up the meaning of uh, the help that the Holy Spirit will bring to us. And again, John is inspired by the Holy Ghost to reveal what that is and what Jesus said that he would do. Then turn with me over to chapter 15. In verse 26. And then he tells him again, but when the comforter, here's the paraclete, the helper. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And then over in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. It's better for you. Now, they couldn't relate to that. And Jesus refers to the fact that they're sorrowful, because of the statements that he made about leaving them. But Jesus tells them that it's better for them that he, hid, that he goes away. For if I go not away, Jesus said, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now skip down with me to verse 13. Here's the last of the things that Jesus says about the Holy Ghost at the Last Supper. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore I said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. I want you to notice there's two things that the Holy Ghost will show you. He'll show you the things that belong to you, the things that are Jesus, that belong to Jesus because of... uh, his resurrection and his victory. But he also said that he would show them things to come. He will show you things that belong to you as a believer. All the wonderful truths that are revealed to us in the Pauline Revelation. Who we are in Christ and so forth. But then he also said he will show you things to come. Now turn with me over to the book of Acts chapter 19. When it comes to showing us things to come, I think a lot of people have the idea that God will show you the winning football scores or the lottery numbers or something like that so that we can have an instant change or instant benefit in our lives as a result of the, the work of the Holy Ghost. But the things that are most important is following God's will and God's plan for your life. I'd rather have that than the biggest lottery winnings there is. There's not a lottery jackpot big enough to be more important to us than finding out God's will and being shown the things that God has for us. So in Acts chapter 19, we'll start in the middle of the story in, in verse 21. It talks about how that Paul is in Ephesus and there are some tremendous things, great revivals and things that are taking place. He has an open door of ministry, he said at one point, into the city of Ephesus. And it was so important that Ephesus that it was at Ephesus that these things took place because it was a, uh, one of the biggest cities that there was, probably the most famous city in all the world. And so people were coming and going. It became a hub or a headquarters for a missionary station where people would leave from Ephesus and go into the four corners of the earth, or the known world at least, and take this news of Jesus and the miracles and the signs and the wonders that took place. So they had built-in missionaries Because of the the traffic and everything that happened in and through Ephesus. But after this greatest revival, Paul spent three and a half years there. Longest place we have record of that he was. After three and a half years, verse 21 says, After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now this phrase, purposed in the spirit, Is translated in Richelieu's translation. I believe it is. It says the spirit moves Paul to plan. And that's very accurate. As far as the definition of the words are concerned. The Holy Ghost moves Paul to plan. In other words. The spirit of God impressed upon him. That he wasn't. To stay at Ephesus. Which would have been a real comfortable thing for him to do. Because of the miracles. And the signs and the wonders that were taking place. The. 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 Church, Christianity gained a foothold in Ephesus to such a degree that it was upsetting the iron workers and the, the crafters of, of uh, occult objects and so forth, idols to other gods. It was a tremendous, tremendous occasion. And apparently it went on for these three and a half years and probably continued even after Paul was gone. But the Holy Ghost moved Paul to plan. He impressed upon him to leave and to continue the work that God had for him to do in other places. So he purposed in the spirit. He had an inward witness of some type, an inward leading of some type to go to Jerusalem and after that to go to Rome. And the Bible tells us that he left and made his way toward Rome after at first he passed through Macedonia. But now I want you to turn with me over to chapter 20 and verse 17. After going through Macedonia, he comes back to the edge of of Asia. And it says, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing what things shall befall me there, save or accept... That the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, that saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or await for me. Now the Bible tells us in the verses that we skipped over about six different cities that he went to, and here he's saying the only thing I know about Jerusalem and what to expect from Jerusalem is that the Holy Ghost is witnessing to me in every city. He's witnessing to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me. In other words. There's two possibilities for what's taking place here. He could receive a witness of the Holy Ghost that's just strengthening him. He becomes more and more aware because, uh, aware of the things that he first uh, determined in Ephesus, which caused him to, to plan to go to Jerusalem. Or it could be that people are witnessing to him by the Holy Ghost. The Bible doesn't say really which one it is. It would or should have the same effect either way. But notice Paul says that He says, save or accept, here's the only thing the Holy Ghost has said to me about it. He witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But none of these things move me. Now folks, I love this story. I think it's one of the most helpful and beneficial stories in all of the scripture. Because it reveals to us about how the Holy Ghost will lead us. And how we should respond to the leading of the spirit you could teach a seminar forever on just the, this um, occasion, this event that took place and how it took place with Paul if you were teaching on the, uh, how to be led by the Spirit this is the greatest example we have and so Paul says, I know that bonds and afflictions are awaiting me I know they're going to take me captive, I know they're going to throw me in jail but none of these things move me what moves you? Most people I know, after hearing the first hint of trouble in prison and and being taken prisoner, they'd break and run the first time they heard anything. But not Paul. There's a saying that people, I've heard people use and I really can't stand it. It's a saying about how that every move you take in God, every step you take forward in God, there should be greater blessings. Folks, that's not true. The first step Jesus took concerning God led him into the wilderness where he was tempted of the devil. It wasn't a pleasant experience for him. Now here's Paul, moved by the Holy Ghost, witnessed to by the Spirit of God, directed by the Holy Ghost to go into a situation where he knows he's going to be thrown in jail. Now a lot of people detour at that point because their idea is that God would never lead you into a situation put you in a position where you would be in jail there are ideas that God will always lead you out of jail rather than into jail well if that was the case then Paul sure missed it and a lot of people think Paul did a lot of people think Paul messed up God's plan for his life by not giving heed to and paying attention to all these different witnesses by the Holy Ghost about the bonds and afflictions that awaited him in Jerusalem that doesn't make sense to me because when Paul got there and was thrown in jail there was an angel or not an angel there was an angel that appeared to him on the boat on the way to to Jerusalem to strengthen him but when he got into uh, the plan of God that he was intended to be when he was in Jerusalem and after he was taken captive Jesus appeared in his cell and Jesus didn't tell him you idiot I gave you so many witnesses by the Holy Ghost what are you doing here? In other words, but instead what he did was he strengthened him and told him he was on the right track and he was right where God wanted him to be. Now I'll show you in a little bit why God wanted him to be there. But here's Paul again saying, The Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I don't know what's going to happen after they take me captive or take me prisoner. I don't know what's going to happen as a result of being thrown in jail. It might cost me my life. But that's the thing that he says didn't move him. He said, that's not a big deal for me. You know, I'm not sure any of us can ever really get to the place of surrender like that. Because we live in such a different day and and a different time. But when you can come to the place, if we could come to the place where Paul was at, where living or dying, life or death, didn't make any difference to him as long as he was serving God and following his leading. Boy, you can make a commitment like that and God can use you. And I'm sure the commitment that, that Paul had and others had as well, there were a lot of people that were persecuted and martyred as a result of their faith in the Lord. No wonder the church was filled with power. You got people willing to sacrifice themselves and die early, die young if that's what's best for the kingdom of God and if that's what God leads them toward doing. I honestly don't know how we are supposed to relate to that, folks. Most people get the least little bit, the slightest bit of persecution and they're ready to run for the hills. Man, these people were committed to God in some phenomenal ways. But I love the way Paul says this. He says, even though the Holy Ghost is telling me that I'm going to be thrown in jail, every city seems to know some way or another, or every city is a place where God witnesses to me about this truth. But none of these things moved me. Paul wasn't moved by the trouble that was ahead. He was moved only by the leading of the Holy Ghost that he had within his own heart. Skip with me now over to the next chapter, Acts chapter 21. Beginning in verse 1, it said, And it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Cus, and the day following unto Rhodes, and from there unto Patara. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now, when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed into Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unlay its burden. And finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, notice this phrase, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now remember we saw that uh, in John 14, 15, and 16, that a part of the work of the Holy Ghost, he'll teach you all things, he'll bring all things to your remembrance, he'll testify of Jesus, and he'll show you things to come. He'll guide you into all truth and show you things to come. Every place that, God, that Paul goes to, every city that he lands in, in some way or another, the Holy Ghost is witnessing to him what's ahead. And it's always the same message. There's no way that people could coordinate. It wasn't like they could pick up the phone and, and call to the next city that Paul's going to and try to, talk, try to convince the people there to talk Paul out of going to Jerusalem. There's no coordinated effort at all. It's a real work of the Holy Ghost, a revelation of the Holy Ghost. That people are telling Paul what's coming ahead. Now whether they interpreted it correctly or not. That's a different matter. See it seems to imply. Well not imply. It tells us. That these people that said to Paul through the spirit. That he shouldn't go to Jerusalem. What they're telling him is. We know that, that you're going to be taken captive and taken prisoner. We know that you're going to be thrown in jail. So don't go. But is that what the Holy Ghost meant by revealing what was coming? Paul didn't think so. Paul seemed to be so convinced about this that every time somebody said to him about what's ahead of him and what they think he should do, Paul sticks with the same leading of the Spirit. And we'll see it even more clearly in a few more verses. Finding disciples, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. The implication is, and remember, it's the Holy Ghost writing these things through Luke. The Holy Ghost is saying, these people heard from me. No question it's supernatural. They wouldn't have any other way to know. No question they're sincere and honest and people of character that God can use. He did use them. Being used of the the Spirit of God or being used by God in some way is not a, a, a sign of good character. But the implication is there. The implication is certainly present. Because of the way the Holy Spirit tells the story. They said to Paul through the Spirit that he shouldn't go up to Jerusalem. What does that mean the Holy Ghost told him to tell him not to go? A lot of people think so. A lot of people think this is the Holy Spirit, proof that the Holy Spirit was trying to keep Paul out of jail rather than put him in jail. But again, we come back to the place where Jesus said, You're right where I put you. Don't be afraid. Speak boldly. Doesn't seem like the thing Jesus would have said if he was on the wrong track, does it? So it's a supernatural occurrence. But folks, here's what you need to understand, and need to recognize about the moving of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost is always perfectly accurate. But the people that he has to manifest himself through are not. And so there can be, just like in this case, a real manifestation of the Spirit, a real operation of the Holy Ghost. And people get it wrong because of what they think it means. Every one of these people that Paul talks about witnessing in in every city or every way the witness comes. If any time that it came through other people like it did here. Which probably was the majority of the time. The majority of the ways that the Holy Spirit did witness to him through every city. It doesn't tell us otherwise. So we have to assume that the, the part of the story that reveals that could be at least. The way that it worked everywhere. Every one of those people that was used of God. To speak to Paul about what was ahead of of him. Every one of them missed it. Every one of them interpreted what they got from the Holy Ghost in an incorrect manner. Folks we've got to be real careful when the Holy Ghost does give us things. That we don't misinterpret what he's telling us. So. Again, back to the story, finding disciples, we tarried there seven days who said to Paul through the spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. And when we had com- accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us on our way with, a, with wives and children until we were out of the city. And we kneeled down on the shore and prayed. Skip down to verse eight. And the next day we that were of Paul's company, this is Luke writing firsthand. He's part of the company himself. And the next day that we were of Paul's company, departed and came into Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was coming to us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost... So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind this man, that owns, or bind the man that owns this girdle, and he and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now we know who Agabus is. We have another instance of where Agabus um, was used of God as, as a part or in a part of the the prophet's ministry. In uh, Acts chapter eleven, I believe it is, it tells us about how that at Antioch the church is growing and great things are taking place. And Agabus, the prophet, signified by the Spirit. The word signified is interesting because it literally means that he acted it out. And you can see some of the acting out of what the the Holy Ghost has given him to say here in Acts chapter 21 too. But he acted out that there was going to be a great famine. The King James says dearth, but it means famine that's going to create a real hardship for the people in Jerusalem. And as a result of that, All the people, the leaders of the church and the congregation together decided that they'd send a relief package or offering to Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas were the ones that delivered that. So we see here that Agabus is used of God in a couple of different times, in two times specifically. And he operates differently. He says different things than everybody else that has witnessed to him. Notice there's no direction in what the Holy Ghost gave Agabus to say. He just said, thus saith the Holy Ghost. The man that owns this girl shall be bound hand in feet and taken prisoner. There's no direction there, folks. Agabus, unlike everybody else that's witnessed to Paul about what's coming ahead for him. Everybody else that's witnessed by the spirit, the future events that will take place when Paul goes to Jerusalem every one of those put their own interpretation on that and decided what they thought that meant and everyone that we have record of interpreted it to mean that Paul shouldn't go Agabus did not say that now we don't know that he didn't believe that we don't know that he was convinced otherwise that Paul should go ahead and go it just doesn't tell us about him the only thing we know for sure is he didn't add his own interpretation to it. So after he acts this out and tells about Paul being bound when he goes to Jerusalem, notice verse 12, it says, "And when we heard these things, both we and of that place, they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem." Luke's saying he thought the same thing. Luke is saying that he thought that, it was, that this was a, a spectacular way for God to tell Paul that he shouldn't go. We know that was the case with Philip and his four daughters. We meaning Paul's company and they of that place. The only one that's left out of this is Agabus. Because Agabus wasn't of that place. He wasn't part of Paul's traveling company and he wasn't part of the people that lived there. So the only one we don't know for sure was Agabus. But apparently he was used of God in such a way that he understood That his job as a prophet was just to speak what God told him and not add anything to it. And folks, that seems to be the place where so many people get themselves in trouble. They'll hear something from the Holy Ghost and misinterpret it. They'll get something in their heart and assume that God intends to do that tomorrow. But it might be ten years down the road. And so in many cases, people try to adjust their lives to fit that into their present. Circumstances when the Holy Ghost is oftentimes, many times, showing us things to come, not showing us things to pursue, not showing us things to work out, but just showing us things to come. So Luke tells on himself here. He said, And when we had heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean you to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse, 20, verse 14 is, is huge. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased. We couldn't persuade Paul. He was so sure of what the Holy Ghost had dropped in his heart that he wouldn't listen or entertain any ideas about not going to Jerusalem. He knew that was where he was supposed to go. The fact that he's going to be taken prisoner didn't deter, deter him in any way whatsoever. It didn't make him change his plans. And so they could not convince him. Philip and his four daughters, nor Luke or the others in his traveling company at that time, could persuade him not to go. Paul recognizes that they love him and they're trying to keep him out of trouble. They don't want, and who would? Who would want somebody to be taken captive and put in prison that you cared about? so he recognized that they were doing this out of love but there's a big difference in somebody wanting you to do something because they love you and what God's telling you to do he didn't let the relationships or the friendships he had with these people take precedence over what the Holy Ghost had had dropped in his heart or led him to do so when we could not persuade him Paul we ceased saying the will of God be done the will of the Lord be done. In other words, Paul had a better, uh, a, a greater influence to persuade them about the fact that he should go than they were able to have on him to keep him from going to Jerusalem. I love this story. Paul became so sure of what God's will and what God's plan was for him to go. He wasn't bothered by walking into the, to the lion's den, so to speak. He wasn't bothered by walking in the middle of those that he knew would take him captive. But the other side of this is the Holy Ghost wanted to prepare Paul to such a degree that this call or assignment to go to Jerusalem kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger on the inside of him. And the more he had to defend what he was doing the stronger it got. Again, there's a lot of people, maybe most people I know, that would have come to some place, whether it was the third city or the fourth city or the 20th city, where they kept hearing the same thing. Most people would have probably taken the position that, well, maybe I ought to think about this a little more. Maybe the Holy Ghost is trying to get something across to me. But that's never a place where Paul got. He knew the Holy Ghost had shown him things to come. He knew that these were all witnesses of the Holy Ghost showing him things to come. Now I've got a question for you. Why did the Holy Ghost show this through so many different people? Again, everybody that received this witness, with the exception of Agabus the prophet, everybody that received this witness is interpreting it as uh, that Paul should not go. But what should they have interpreted it as? Why would God show them? He's clearly not showing it to them for the purpose of having an impact on Paul. It didn't have an impact on Paul. He became accustomed to defending his action, I'm sure, as I I mentioned before. But it didn't move Paul at all. What's the Holy Ghost doing with all these people that he's witnessing through? He's trying to show them because of their love for Paul that they might not see his face again that's what Paul identified here in Acts chapter 20 when he called the elders of the church of Ephesus he said I know I'm never going to see your face again so look at all the people that missed an opportunity to say goodbye to Paul look at all the people because Paul even Paul's third missionary journey Paul didn't get back to most of these cities. We know that the book of Acts ends with him in Rome, spending two years preaching freely in the gospel in the hired house that he was in. But we don't have any record that he made it back to any of these other cities. We don't have a record of him leaving the the city of Rome. We know that it was in Rome several years after these things were written that Paul was beheaded and martyred for the Lord but they missed their opportunity they missed their opportunity to say goodbye to Paul because they thought they knew what the Holy Ghost was saying I know we all pray for the Holy Ghost to show us things once he does show us things we ought to pray and ask what does it mean When he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. Well, that's when he went. He went to Jerusalem and it happened just the way everybody said, just the way the Holy Ghost had prompted him and revealed to him. Paul had enough of a witness of the Holy Ghost about the things that were awaiting him to hold steady in the face of everybody telling him something to the contrary. That's the kind of confidence I want to have in the Holy Ghost. Don't you? I want to be able to know the Holy Ghost to such a degree that no matter what anybody ever ever says. No matter what they get from God. No matter what manifestations of the Spirit take place. Where I'm led by the Spirit rather than by the spectacular occurrences. These are certainly supernatural occurrences. And with Agabus I would even put that in the spectacular category. But nobody could budge Paul off of what he knew the Holy Ghost had told him to do. That's the kind of mature Christians that we should all aspire to be. Amen. Now turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 9. Paul writes, And this I pray, that your love should abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve those things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. But I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So we know that Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians from jail. We know where that jail was by virtue of the the words that he uses. Here where it says that it was known in all the palace. And in all other places. That word palace is the word praetorium. The Praetorium was a place in Rome that was considered to be the palace grounds or the outskirts of the palace grounds. So we know, the, what we don't know is is this Paul's first imprisonment or was, was it when he was imprisoned later? We know that he was imprisoned twice. The reason we know that is because we know without a doubt that he was a prisoner in Rome when he was beheaded. But then, as I said before, at the end of the book of, Acts, or the book of Acts ends with Paul being free to come and go from his hired house. He's no longer in prison. So Paul was in prison, was released, and then went back to prison sometime later. But we don't know for sure which of those imprisonments was the time that he wrote this to the Philippians. I think it was the second one. I'm sorry, I misspoke. I think it was the first one, not the second one. And I'll show you why as we go a little further. I would that you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace, that's the word praetorium, and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. In other words, he says some people are preaching Jesus, trying to make it more difficult for me or create trouble, cause trouble for me in prison. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now verse 19 is interesting because the word salvation there is used. There are two main words that are used in the New Testament from the Greek that refer to salvation. One is sozo and the other is soteria. And if I was a a Greek grammar scholar or something like that, maybe I'd tell you what the difference was between those two words. But there really is very little, if any difference, whatsoever It probably has more to do with the tense and the way that it's being written than uh, the meaning of the words themselves. So many other translations translate this, I know that this shall turn to my deliverance. One translation I'm aware of says it will turn to my perseverance or my uh, uh, preservation. Because the word salvation is such a great and strong word that it cannot be associated with anything that does not bring victory. It cannot be um, associated with or used in any situation that doesn't bring deliverance or rescue. So if Paul is rescued or if he's delivered from prison, the prison that he was in when he was writing the the letter to the Philippians, that must be his first imprisonment because his second imprisonment didn't turn out that way. He didn't escape from his second imprisonment. He was beheaded and martyred for the Lord. So, he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation or deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now unto Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul hadn't changed his attitude. Paul's attitude was he was willing not only to offer his body but also his life if that was what was necessary for the gospel. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. Now notice that phrase. He says, I'm not sure what I'm going to choose. For I am in a strait betwixt two. Here's his dilemma. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. In other words, he says, if it was up to me, I'd get out of here as quick as I can. But it's better for you if I stick around. Now, why is it better for them? And certainly he's using them as a type of the whole church. How is it better for the church for him to stick around? Well, notice that he said before that a lot of people had gained boldness to speak the word of God after he was imprisoned. It inspired a lot of people to preach. Not everybody preached with the proper motives. He talked about those that preached out of contention trying to create trouble for him. But he said others were preaching out of the love of God. He said, I'm glad Jesus is being talked about. And notice what he said too. Maybe we need to back up a couple of verses. Notice what he said also in verse... uh, Oh, where is it? Verse 13. When he said, My bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in other places. He's saying everybody in the palace. Everybody in... This is the home of Caesar. Caesar. He's in Rome. He's in a Roman prison. And he said, everybody in the palace knows that I'm in jail because of my affinity and commitment to Christ. He said, everybody knows. Now, answer me a question, folks. How in the world would God work things out to such a degree that everybody in Rome, particularly those in authority, in Caesar's palace and all those that had uh, anything to do with the, the Roman government, People are coming and going all the time. How in the world would God bring to those people the knowledge of who Jesus is without the way that it worked with Paul? I'm sure there was another way, but I'm not sure it would have been as effective. So Paul is totally committed to the work of God. And I'm certain, I have no shadow of any doubt whatsoever that the situation turned out for Paul and for what he calls the furtherance of the gospel in a much greater way than any way that he could have identified or come up with himself so when in the beginning back in Acts chapter 19 when the spirit moved Paul to plant the Holy Ghost had a better plan in mind than anything Paul could have come up with on his own now let me ask you this does God love Paul more than he loves you Our head wants to tell us that. But the Bible says not. The Bible says God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. Well, he didn't love Paul any more than he loves Jesus, did he? That means he loves us just as much as he loved Paul. Well, if the Holy Ghost would be willing, and we see that he was. If the Holy Ghost would be willing to confirm in so many ways, in so many different places... What his plan was for Paul. Don't you know. That that's the only reason that Paul would have been sold out to the plan of God. What other reason would he have ignored all the things that the Holy Ghost was telling him. If he didn't know that the Holy Ghost plan was better than anything he could come up with. Certainly better than the people that loved him and trying to keep him out of trouble. If God would do that for him, why wouldn't he do that for us? Now, I'm sure there's some, some pieces that are missing here. God requires the same commitment of us as he did Paul. And because of Paul's experience with walking with the Lord for as long as he did. And I'm sure there were a lot of other things, including the visions and the revelations he had that would play into this as well. Paul developed a confidence in the Holy Ghost that not many believers nowadays would ever have. We certainly wouldn't have it unless we pursued it. It's not going to come by accident. You're not going to just wake up one morning and all of a sudden have confidence in the Spirit of God and His leading. It's something we have to actively pursue. But thank God we can. So when Paul says, through your prayers your prayers are going to have a lot to do with my deliverance too remember in Acts chapter 12 it tells us that Herod beheaded James the brother of John one of the three that were closest to Jesus Peter, James and John and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he took Peter into custody too intending to cut his head off as well but the Bible says but prayer was made for Peter prayer without ceasing was made for Peter and Peter was delivered the angel showed up in his prison cell and kicked him in the side and said, time to go. Get up. Peter thought he was dreaming. The angel had to say, hurry up. Get your stuff together. Let's go. He led him out into the city. Iron gates opened on their own accord when they got to them. And Peter went to where the company, the church company was praying. And he was delivered back to them. Look with me over to, to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Let's um, let's back up to the beginning of the chapter. Well, I tell you what, for the sake of time, let's just go to Romans chapter eight, verse fourteen. Paul writes, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. What does that mean to Paul who's writing these things? We memorize these scriptures and use them as we should. But what does Paul mean when he writes these things to them? When Paul talks about being led by the Spirit of God, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This word sons is not the word for babies or children. It's the word for adult sons. He's talking about this as being a matter of spiritual growth and maturity. Well, he's certainly an authority on that, isn't he? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, the maturing sons of God. Being led by the Spirit is something that every Christian should mature into. Verse 16, we all know as well, that fits right along with this. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God, or the sons of God. No, the word is right. In verse 16, it's the word children. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if ch- children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Paul's Christianity left no place for somebody just to live comfortably all their lives. Paul's Christianity was such, and the gospel that he delivered to the church was such that if we're living in close fellowship with God, there will be persecution. He's the one that tells us those that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution, which is probably the reason why most people are not persecuted. It takes a lifestyle, it takes a commitment to God that's so all in. A full and total commitment to God, for the power of God, for the manifestation of God, for the character of God, to have that kind of impact on other people that are governed by the Spirit of this world, which turns them against them, which is what brings persecution to bear. Paul goes on to talk about the work of the Holy Ghost. Verse 26. He says, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The word infirmities there is not the word sickness. It's the word weakness. Well, what infirmity is he talking about? What weakness is he talking about? He explains as we go further. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. He didn't say we don't know what to pray for. He says a weakness of ours, and of course, it's a weakness of the flesh. We can't see everything down the road. We don't know everything like God knows everything. So he's saying the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. In other words, when we don't know how to pray for things as we ought, he gives us a means to pray as we ought to. The Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. P.C. Nelson said the most uh, accurate way, To translate this, verse 27, or the last part of, uh, I'm sorry, the last part of verse 26. He makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. One translation says, which cannot be uttered in articulate speech. But P.C. Nelson, who was a Greek authority, uh, the foremost Greek authority in his day, if I understand correctly, he said the most literal way to translate this is God talk. Groanings which cannot be uttered literally means, according to P.C. Nelson, God talk. Well, what is God talk? Paul's the one that tells us when we pray in an unknown tongue, we speak not to men but unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit, we speak mysteries. That word mysteries is translated divine secrets in other translations. So speaking in other tongues is God talk. So he says the Holy Spirit helps our infirmities when we're in a position where we don't know how to pray for things as we ought God gives us utterance in other tongues to speak divine secrets and he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God in other words he's saying God talk always results in God hearing you and always results in praying the perfect will of the Father verse 28 and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, what brings us to the place where all things work together for good to them that are called to the Lord? Well, he's just been talking about God talk. He's saying when we speak divine secrets in other tongues, when we speak divine secrets in prayer unto our Father, that works things out for good. He's not just saying as so much of the church world would, would like to cherry pick this, so often when there's a tragedy or a death of a loved one at an early age or something like that, people will say, well, we know that all things work together for good to them that are loved of God and called according to his purpose. And that has no bearing on that situation whatsoever. That's one of the biggest lies that the church has told for thousands of years. Paul is saying all things work together for good when you speak in other tongues and pray things out. And the implication is if you don't speak in other tongues and pray things out with this God talk. That things won't work out the way that they're supposed to. But back to what Paul talked about to the Philippians. Paul said I know that these things will come about to bring the furtherance of the gospel. And my salvation because of your prayers. When Paul writes these things, Paul is writing about the way that he's had to live. Because he was in trouble for one city after, the, after city after city after city after city after city. There are very few places that the Bible tells us about Paul going that he was not run out of town. Very few. So Paul has had to live his life by praying in other tongues. He said to the Corinthians, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Why is Paul so big on speaking in other tongues? Because he knows that's what works things out for good. He knows that praying in the spirit, allowing the Holy Ghost to manifest himself in our prayer life is the key, it's the secret, it's the the answer to having God's will play out in our lives. When Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 that we should be Rather than be conformed to the world, transformed by the renewing of our minds. These are the things that the renewed mind is transformed into. The reality of being led by the Spirit, the reality of the inward witness, the reality of the God talk, divine secrets that the Holy Ghost gives us the ability to speak, even if we don't know what we're saying. We can have confidence that we're praying the perfect will of the Father and praying out that perfect will of the Father. Brings us to the place that all things work together for good. But not otherwise. The thing I like about this is you see that Paul was real. You see that he lived what he preached. There's no situation where he's looking for other people to carry the ball while he relaxes. And that's the thing that keeps him on the earth. That's the thing where he talked about the Philippians in chapter 1 as we just read. He said, I certainly want to get out of here. And he said he had a choice about it too. He said, I haven't decided what I'm going to choose. Because I desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better. But it's better for you. It's more needful for you and all the church. Not just the Philippians but all the churches. It's more needful for you that I stay and bring forth more fruit through my labors and help you. So Paul knew what the secret was of these things. He knew that speaking in other tongues carried a uh, played a, a huge role in walking in the plan and the purpose of God. Well, if it did for Paul, wouldn't it for us too? When Paul talks about being led by the spirit, he's already been through this experience that brought him to Rome and everybody trying to talk him out of it. When he writes about renewing his mind to the word, us, the church renewing our minds to the word of God. Paul has already done that and determined, experienced the will of God in his own life. These things are real things, folks. There's a reality to this. And remember one of the works of the Holy Ghost is he'll guide you into all truth or all reality. Well what realities is the Holy Ghost going to guide us into? What's he going to lead us to do? He's going to lead us into realizing and having our eyes open to who we really are in Christ. And the exceeding greatness of his power. Remember those prayers that Paul would pray. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come unto us so that our eyes, spiritual eyes would be open to who we are in Christ what belongs to us as an heir of God and the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers Paul experienced all those things that's why he saw the reality and the necessity of praying those things for other people he tells every church he prays for them without ceasing how is he doing that well in great degree he's doing it through God talk inspired utterance in other tones praying the will of the Father how would Paul know what was going on what situations were going on in all these churches he could be in one city 500 miles away how's he going to know what's happening there with the Corinthians he said the Holy Ghost showed him what was going on and so he prays without ceasing for all of these churches how could he do that if not in other tongues I don't think there would be any way for us to imagine that he could He didn't have constant lines of communication with everybody like we have today. We could just take out our cell phone and call somebody on the other side of the world. There wasn't that kind of communication or connection. The only communication and connection that they had was the Holy Ghost. And so they had to rely on him in a greater measure. Folks, I think that's part of the spirit of the world that we have to guard against as much or more than anything else. Things become so convenient that a lot of things you don't have to trust God for. God does never want us to be so prosperous or so tech savvy that anything would substitute our time of fellowship or our time of prayer with God and all those things that we keep adding to our lives they take maintenance and upkeep it just eats away a little, just chunk by chunk eats away out of our time time that we could spend with God but the way Paul and and the people of his day many people of his day not everybody of course but the commitment that they had God willing to be martyred knowing that they're facing martyrdom knowing that situations could change overnight or at the drop of a hat to where another wave of persecution would start and come against them these people lived ready for that they lived committed to God in such a way that they didn't move away from where the persecution might be they stood their ground and did what God wanted them to do I think that's something to aspire to don't you so Paul again telling the Philippians I know that this will turn to my salvation through your prayers my deliverance has a lot to do with people praying for him he said so when he tells the Philippians I've decided to abide in the flesh because it's better for you again he did what he did what he always did he put the people first instead of himself and he was delivered he was set free and spent the next two years after his freedom, he spent the next two years preaching in Rome, nobody stopping him, knowing full well that the palace had heard about Jesus and had been witness to about Jesus and his sacrifice in ways that might otherwise have been impossible. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your care and commitment to us. You gave us Jesus, the best that there is. And you provided for us through him and through his sacrifice. All blessings, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Father, you did that because you loved us. And you still love us in just exactly the same way. Lord, help us to take advantage of the help of the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. Show us what we need to do, what adjustments we need to make to be in closer fellowship with you. Show us adjustments we need to make to our lives so that we would be more sensitive to your leading. We can't overemphasize that, Father. The need for us to be sensitive in spirit so that we see and know God's plan for us just like Paul saw and just like he knew. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us into all truth. Thank you for giving us utterance in other tongues to speak divine secrets. Thank you for bringing us to... Bring to our remembrance all the things that Jesus said. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for testifying of our Lord Jesus. We love you, Father. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into our lives, into every area of our lives. We thank you for being our helper. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you for being with us. We love you.